All right, if you guys have a Bible, you can turn to the whole of the Psalter, just all of Psalms, 1 through 150. So I'm not sure that, uh, well, I am sure that this is not my last sermon on my, in the Psalms. However, this is the last sermon. I don't know when the next one will be. The next sermon on the Psalms that I will listen to is from you guys, and I'll help orchestrate that. But this is my last sermon in the Psalms for a while, and it's kind of interesting because um, I feel like to a certain extent, like, people think that the Psalms is my identity. Like I've preached through them and like there are certain pastor friends of mine that know that I'm just the Psalms guy. And I've felt for over five years now, actually when I left, um, when I left uh, the former church, the church formerly known as, and when I was planting Reclaim Denton, getting ready to do that, I knew I was supposed to preach the Psalms then. I thought it would just be maybe the songs of ascent, but I knew that God just planted this root in my heart to preach the whole of the Psalter during that time, and uh, now I've done that. So I can retire after this, I guess. And all 150 uh, psalms and 22 sermons in Psalm 119. And if nothing else, I know that I've been faithful to do what God has asked. I'm not saying I've done it well each and every week. I'm not saying all the sermons were amazing. And I'm not saying that it's been easy, particularly around like Psalm 54. It's just like, oh my gosh, we've been in this for a year. We've got three to go. The Psalm 60s, I'm not sure if I remember all of them because I was just um, maybe lamenting the fact that we had a long ways to go and it just felt so far off. There have been moments in the Psalms when I've just wanted to pause, when I've just wanted to say, oh, we're going to put a pause on the Psalms and we're going to jump into something else real quick and then jump back into the Psalms. But every time I did that, I was like, but I know I'm supposed to preach the Psalms. I know this is what God's asked me to do. And I'm glad that um, just even in the timing of some of the Psalms through COVID, some of the timing of the Psalms when we've been able to get together, like I'm glad that we didn't put a pause on it. That God has just met us here. And by God's grace, we are at the end of the Psalms. Um, my mom and I were talking before church. This church looks a little different. It feels a little different. Uh, you, you guys, Burks, you guys weren't even here when we started. Tinsley's, you weren't here. I think Jake, you were. Luke, you guys were. Because I think you preached through some of John. But I, and I've said this time and time again. And I've said this for the last few years. But I mean it with my whole heart. That praying, studying, and preaching the Psalms have been the most revolutionary thing for my faith that I've ever gone through. There's been some ups and downs in my life, but the one thing I can say that is just so richly developed my faith is just immersing myself in the Psalms. Immersing myself in the life of Jesus through the Psalms, knowing that what Jesus, when He taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, He would have been well-versed in the Psalms. And so looking at that and, and going into that, and I can honestly say that I'm not the same man standing before you that started to preach the Psalms. I showed a couple people a picture of uh, what my family looked like when we started the Psalms, and they were all much younger, and uh, I was much bigger. I'm skinnier now. I lost some weight during the Psalms, I guess. Hey, what's that? And much older. My beard's a little grayer, that's for sure. My glasses are a little bit stronger prescription. But the Psalms have, I, I really feel this, the Psalms have interrupted my ignorance and allowed me to see life and pray through life in much fuller colors. Like it's interrupted my ignorance and it's made my life richer just spending this time in the Psalms. I, the fact that we didn't go through the Psalms in haste 
that we've slowed down to really consider what a life of prayer could look like, it's been amazing. It's just been amazing to see that we've entered into ambiguity, entered into like just this this thing of like, some of the Psalms I still don't understand, but we entered in and we walked in these and it is allowed for the richness and textures of life to make itself known. And And it's really shown me that we walk by faith and not by sight. That this is what we do as Christians. That uh, honestly, I have more questions about the Psalms now than when I started. And I'm sure that that's just going to go and keep going. But I'm also okay with that because now, to me, Jesus is bigger than He's ever been. Jesus is bigger than any of my questions. And I believe that. And um, I I believe that the, the boxes that I used to keep things in so my life could be neat and tidy are are gone. That the real mess of my life is just kind of out and it's cluttered and it's just spread all over the place and it's just more real and it's more honest. That uh, I feel like I've been, um, uh, to quote the Psalms, I've been kicked in the teeth. My habits have been kicked in the teeth. My life has been kicked in the teeth. And I guess some of the boxes that I used to keep my life in were maybe more evil than I would have thought they were and they needed to be kicked and they needed to be put away with. But I've said this over and over in the Psalms that the temptation was in the Psalms to name this a long apprenticeship in prayer. Because that's exactly what it's been. A long apprenticeship in prayer has allowed us the time to examine the Psalms like most Christians and most like church churches, Christian churches don't get to do these days. Even those traditions that they pray the Psalms and they sing the Psalms, they don't spend much time thought talking about them and thinking through them and we have most of the times we've we've entered into the psalms um as as corporate america we enter in the into the psalms as private devotion not public not a gathering of people And, and we've um then changed these psalms in a sense in our own culture to see that these psalms fit within the church Not just us as individuals. They do impact us as individuals and it's a beautiful thing, but they fit with us. They fit with grace and mercy. They fit with all of us, with with all our positive things and all our negative things. They just fit in a corporate setting. And I believe, I firmly believe this, that this has blessed us far more than we know. That as we've prayed these psalms, as we've looked at them, that we are in this life of faith together and we have been through the psalms together we've looked at what excuse me what a prayer life can look like together the corporate aspects of the psalms has simply blown me away blown me away by the way we're getting into revelation it's a letter to churches not individuals so it's going to just continue to go that way but we won't get ahead it will we'll get through the psalms first it has made corporate worship to me more important the fact that when you guys sing, when you guys pray, when you guys are just attentive, that it's ministering to me. And I believe when I do those things, it's ministering to you. That, and when we take communion each and every week, except through COVID, like, um, that it's not, church is not just for you. Even your simple act of taking the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ and remembering it, or us taking a a moment to remember the broken body and shed blood of Christ together, it can remind us, this corporate aspect can remind us how important Jesus is. It's vastly important 
as we go through our weeks. That we are in this life of faith together, that we've been through the Psalms together, that we are growing our faith as we learn to submit to Christ in a whole new way each and every week, and we get to do this together. It's beautiful as well to know that uh, we can't plan what the Spirit of God wants to do in our midst. Amen? We cannot plan what the Spirit of God wants to do in our midst. We can't orchestrate it. We can be diligent to what God has before us. Or as I've learned to put it another way, this work that we're doing here at church, it's not our work. If we didn't do it, the rocks would cry out. If we didn't do it, the rocks would cry out. It's not our work. We're giving glory to God. We're, we're paying attention and being a witness to the way that God is working in our lives, in the, in the lives of our world, and in our midst. We're paying attention and being a witness to this work. And it's not our work. It's God's work. And so church is important and God's voice is important. He can, uh, our work can leave our lips and God can use it. But we got to recognize that it's not our work. It's His work that He wants to do in and throughout the world. And yes, He uses us and we get to be faithful and continue to do the work. But when we sing, when we share our hopes, when we share our prayer requests, our hope is that His work will go forth and succeed in this world. That we, we pray in, in, in our hopes that His work will continue to work its way into the depths of our soul and His breath will breathe life on us, the parts of us that are dying in particular, and that we will take communion to bear witness to the importance of Jesus and His broken body and His shed blood. The fact that this sermon series has been just about four and a half years and that each psalm has been placed where it is and we just happen to come upon certain psalms in certain times is providential to say the least. It's providential to say the least. And this shows me that God truly is in control. His scripture is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's timely. It can come in and I believe that as we've entered into Scripture each week, that this is what God has for us. I believe that each and every week here. This is what God has for us. To encourage us, to convict us, to grow us and shape us more and more into His image each and every week. And if we pay attention which is part of the work that we have to do. If we pay attention, we would see that week in and week out in the Psalms that either one person or all of us have been met in the Psalms right where we needed to be met and God has blessed us in His timing. These Psalms have also allowed me to slow down and I feel like uh, we will never regret the last four and a half years of life here at Grace and Mercy. We'll never regret the time that God has given us to be in the Psalms. We'll never go, oh my gosh, that was just too long. I hope we never get to go through that again. God's work is not always quick work. Amen? Sometimes it takes to preach the whole of the Psalter to understand it all. To at the end of it just go, yeah, but I'm going to praise God. No matter what, good, bad, and different, I'm going to praise God. It takes that slowness to get in to, to our lives. And most church planting strategists would not say in the year two of your church plant that you should, they say that you should teach 16-week sermons. Do 16-week sermon series, go through short books, condense it, literally, I've read books upon books about this, 
Um, no, I have never seen one say you should do a sermon series that's like 230 weeks long. Not one. Not one has said you should do a sermon series that you'll pay off your car before you get through it. Like it's just not the way it works. God is not in a hurry like we are. Amen? This is a good thing that He's working on us and it's taught us to, and tr- or tr- taught us or tried to teach us patience. That slowness is a good thing. That marinating, meditating on the Lord isn't something that we have to do in a hurry or 15 minutes before we grab our coffee and rush out to work. That slowness has taught us to work on waiting on the Lord to do His work and not trying to force Him or manipulate Him to do what we want Him to do. And I've had this further rooted that pastoring is not about my vision. Amen? Amen. It's not about my vision. It's not about my will. It's all about God's will. It's His vision for His people. It's His timing and it's His words. And we get to be about that. And I'll say this. Yes, I've learned through the Psalms that He wants me to be faithful. But it's the gift of God's grace, not my own faithfulness. Not my own fortitude. And it's been a blessing to see that, that it's not really about me. I have a I, through the Psalms, I, somewhere along the lines, I put up this thing right on my study board above me that says, this is not my work. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And more than anything, I believe that because I believe my trust that God is in control, that God hears our prayers, that God cares for us, that God cares for the poor and the downtrodden, and that God loves when people assemble in His name, even if it has to be online during a pandemic. God loves this. And as we close the Psalms, there are a few things I would like us to remember as I sum them up. A few things that I believe that God has for us to take away, and not only take away, but to keep. I I don't know how many of there are, four or five of them, but we'll get into them. First thing I'd love for us to remember is that when we enter into prayer, we are not simply entering into a nice Christian behavior. Let me say that again. When we enter into prayer, we are not simply entering into a nice Christian behavior. We are not simply uttering our Christian duty before God. Prayer is so much more alive than this. So much more alive than this. We do not enter into prayer on our terms. We don't need to... Uh, be praying like church folk. There are some psalms that don't belong in churches. In fact, some traditions that even pray the churches exclude certain portions of certain psalms. And yet we have not, which I'm not boasting in. I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying that we enter into them. That prayer is not like what just nice little church folk do. We don't have to be tame or timid in our prayers. We are entering into something far bigger far more earth and heart forming than we could ever think when we say, dear Jesus, and we enter into a time of prayer. Prayer is actively waking us up to the realities of God, the real God, the alive God, the God that defeats death, the all-powerful God, the all-wealthy God, the creator God, the miracle-working God, the God who does great things. Like rise from the dead God. This is the God that we worship. And when we speak, it is because we are responding to His grandeur and His greatness. This is the God who spoke through a burning bush. 
Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. With actual words. This is the God who opened up the Red Sea so that millions could walk through on dry land and be rescued from their enemies. This is the God who opened up the earth He created and swallowed people in His own discipline. And this is a God who rescued and disciplined His people. This is, when we pray, we are praying to the from death to life God. The God who takes away the darkness and replaces it with light God. This is not a tame God. And our knees may tremble, but we come with confidence that He wants good for us, that He will hear us, that He cares for us. We've prayed many things in the Psalms. Some of these have been peaceful, and some of them not so much. We've come to the Psalms to learn the language of prayer and it has given us a robust vision and many words to pray that when uh, we're going to need them all. We're going to need to learn how to pray. Lord, will you kick them in the teeth? Lord, will you bash the babies against rocks? Not fully understanding what all this means, but knowing that this is what prayer is. Lord, may the hills skip like rams. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hill. All these things, we need all these words. And if we're going to face things like global pandemics and not lose our minds, if we're going to face things like social isolation and not lose our minds, if we're going to walk through trials and tribulations and not lose our minds, we need all of these words. If we're going to see relationships whole and healed, we need all these words. If we're going to see bodies whole and healed, we need all these words. We're going to need these words because these words are warring words against Satan, sin, and death, and we need them all. We need a God who is bigger than all of that. We need a God that is big to fight addictions. Amen? The addictions that just seem insurmountable that we keep giving into over and over and over again. We beg God to take us from us and we need these big words to fight the addictions. Oftentimes we need these big words just to maintain to a little ounce of hope. Lord, I'm clinging. I don't know if I can hold on to stay in the fight of faith that we have. We need all these words to trust in Jesus each and every day, each and every step and every breath of our day. We need these words to love our neighbors, all of them. We need these words in our lives. In all these difficult things, we need a robust prayer life. The Psalms give us language for this. And they also make sure that we know that God is above all gods, that He is not little, He is not finite like the rest of our gods, that He is worthy of our praise, and that He will never leave us or disappoint us. And in this, we can say amen. The second thing I'd love for us not to forget, to never leave, never leave our hearts and our minds, is that we trust not in princes, but we trust in the Lord. Trust not in our own emotions, but we trust in the Lord and His steadfastness towards us. That you guys don't trust in me and I don't get to trust in you. 
But we get to trust in God who will never leave us and never let us down. Again, I, I love Psalm 73. It's whom have I in heaven but you and there's no one or nothing on earth that I desire besides you. May this prayer be rooted in our heart and be true. As the, as the world pulls at us to trust in everything else besides God. I, I think of this right now. The world is telling us to vote as if voting would solve all our problems. And we know better. Whether we vote or not, we know that, when we, that this world will be a mess until Jesus comes back and he will, once we see him face to face, then we can be healed and whole. But until then, we just trust him. Amen? Trusting not in princes means that we don't trust in the ways of the world, like none of them. We don't trust in money or wealth, amen? We don't trust in those things. We don't trust in security. We know that even as we left home today, that as we locked our doors, that it is God who protects us over against any lock. We don't trust in the lies of advertisers who target us, who manipulate us, who are trying to exploit us just to make another buck. We don't trust in the gadgets that we get when those, uh, when those people do uh, get us and we just need that new and next best thing. We don't trust in those. We don't trust in our or anybody else's influence as we've seen influence used these days. We can use them to be sure for God's glory. But at the end of the day, we don't trust in the way of the world. We trust in our God. We trust that He is good, that He has us, and He's looking out for us. We trust in Jesus Christ, that He lived a perfect life, that He died a death for us to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to bring His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and that He rose from the dead and is alive today. And not only is He alive today, but He continues to surprise us with His goodness and His grace. Amen? He continues to shape and mold us more and more in His image. And that we might follow His ways, that we might be a tree transplanted by streams of water, and be blessed by Him. That's a reference from Psalm 1, for those who remember that. Transplanted by streams of water. As we follow, we keep doing our best to be obedient. Amen? And in that, we need all these prayers to walk His ways as He would have us. And this isn't easy. This isn't easy. But in all things, we trust Jesus now and forevermore. The third thing I want us to remember and I would say this is most important, except for all of these are what I believe are most important. That's why it's the final sermon in the Psalms. Third thing I want us to remember in our time of the Psalms is neediness. Our neediness. May we never, this is my true prayer, may we never stop being needy. May we never stop being needy, no matter in times of uh, of prosperity and in times of despair may we never stop being needy may we never stop needing Jesus and his grace in our lives and we can see that all the psalmist every single one claim that they are needy not just once but over and over and over and over and over again they are, we are being reminded that we are needy and that God meets our needs with his loving kindness and his correction We need to be needy far more than we might realize. The consistency of our need is 
Uh, Tyrone said sometimes reality is different than the truth. And the reality is we may not appear needy. The truth is we are desperately needy for Jesus and His love. We are not whole yet until we see Jesus face to face. And indeed, our neediness allows our needs to be met in Him. If we are not needy, then we won't be met. Jesus said He came for the sick, not for those who are already well. So we get to be sick and realize that we are sick. And over and over and over again in the Psalms, when we see this neediness, we are seen that it is met by God's loving kindness, His steadfast love, His grace, or the word that keeps getting repeated in the Psalms is hased, which is loving kindness, steadfast love, His grace. Our neediness is met with grace. Over and over and over. The poor in the Psalms are real poor. Materially poor. Spiritually poor. Emotionally poor. Mentally poor and physically poor. And we get to be numbered amongst them. We get to lower ourselves to be amongst the poor. And it's okay to admit need. We may look needy to this broken world, right? We may look like we're in need. But that is more truth than maybe even the reality. I pray that we may remember our need. That our neediness will never depart from us as a church. That no matter what happens, we may be dependent on God for all things and that we may never become self-sufficient. Never become self-sufficient. And lastly, I'd say this. Worship doesn't end on creation, but extends so far beyond anything that we might be able to imagine and that we get to praise the Lord. At the end of the day, we get to praise the Lord. We are um, extremely limited to see God's plan. I don't know if you guys know that, but we can't see the whole thing. We're extremely limited to seeing God's plan. And God will be worshiped And as we are here, we get to practice our worship of Him. Over and over, we get to keep it up, keep going, keep trying to expand our worship of Him. He is greater and bigger and wiser and and all that good stuff. He is all that and He is our Maker and Creator of everything. And we praise His name because that is the right response. That's the right response. The creator and maker of everything, we praise His name because we know that it is right to do so and it is always right to do so. And in this, we do it in different ways at different times. There is worship that is done with tears and mourning and sackcloth and ashes and lament. And there is worship that is not easy, but we are commanding our hands and our hearts and our souls to worship because we don't really feel like it. And yet we're saying, praise the Lord. And there are times when worship flows and it feels like the most euphoric thing, like, I don't ever want to leave this place. I want to sing of your love forever and ever and ever and ever. And I don't want it to end. And we never want it to stop. But in the end, we get to worship God. We get to worship Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We get to worship by lining up with our lives to His great commandments and decrees. And worship is preparing us for all eternity where we will worship there once and for all and forever. As I started the Psalms, I started um, because prayer was a huge point in shame for my life. If you would have said, 
uh, will you teach me to pray? I, I would have been at a loss. That's the truth of it. If you would have said, Scott, will you pray for me? I just would have been at a loss. I would have prayed. I would have done it, but I wouldn't have known exactly or felt comfortable knowing that I was in a good spot to do that. And I didn't pray well, and I didn't understand prayer well, and it was actually the most shameful part of my Christian walk. And I can say this, I no longer feel that way. I no longer feel that way. Not because I'm not needy, not because I've figured it out, but because I know that God has loved me and shown me what a life of prayer could be through the Psalms. And I feel like my life is finally a life of prayer. Again, not perfectly, not without ceasing. But at the same time, um, I feel like I get it. I feel like I understand it. I feel like I'm at least at the beginning stages of it. We are often too rushed to make much sense of prayer. And I believe that as we slow down, that this life of prayer, that our, our time in the Psalms is the base from which we will be able to fight the good fight that we will fight for our faith, that we will run the race that Jesus has placed before us. And I believe this whole time in the Psalms has been like the time in a gym or the time in a training center. Or even as Tyrone preached last week, that for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And when that vision comes, this time in the Psalms was needed first and, it, and will serve us well from here until eternity. This time in the Psalms has been centering, extremely centering. It's been shaping and it's been rooting, like rooted down and in, in grabbed onto Jesus with all that we are and being nourished by Him. I can truly say this, I love Jesus now more than when we started. I want to follow Jesus more now than when we started. I believe in Jesus more now than when we first started. I believe His chesed is true and real. His unfailing loving kindness towards us. I believe that because of this time in the Psalms, we'll be able to walk better and more faithfully because of His grace that He has shown us in the Psalms. Last but not least, I urge us to never leave the Psalms. That as we walk away from them for, for a time, that as we, we go away and we're not in them every week, that the Psalms won't leave us. That we'll be rooted in them. That we'll continually run to them to teach us to pray. That we're not masters of this. We get to finally just, we just finally maybe at the threshold of knowing how to enter into these prayers that we continue to pray them on a regular basis, that these psalms become a part of our life now and forever, that we hold on to the things that God has taught us through the times. And that is different for each and every one of us. And I, I'll say this. It's kind of odd, and I'm, it's actually surprising because I'm more sentimental than I let on. But I'm not emotional leaving the book of Psalms. Not at all. I, I, when I left the book of John, I was emotional. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I love the book of John. I don't ever want to leave it. And we're getting into the Psalms. I'm not emotional leaving the Psalms. But I am this. I'm expectant. I'm expectant. I'm excited. And I feel trained and ready for what God has next. 
So will you guys stand as I pray. Father, we thank you for this time in the Psalms. Thank you that we have one more week and that we get to, I get to hear from everybody else and we get to hear from everybody else, Lord, on what the Psalms meant. Lord, I, I, um, I don't regret a moment in the Psalms. And I thank you for them. I thank you that uh, just be able to walk in faith and more confidence in who you are and who we are in you. So Jesus, I pray that you will continually keep us rooted in the Psalms, that you will continue to do your work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.